Well, you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. It's so great to be back here at Harvest Bible Chapel uh, Durham, and I'm so thankful for uh, Pastor Ian. Lindsay and I love Ian and Sarah. As uh, Brian uh, mentioned, we just really uh, are so encouraged anytime we get to spend time with them, and uh, we're always trying to sort of corner them and get them uh, 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 um, to get into a conversation with them whenever we're at a conference or something like that uh, together. I'm so thankful that uh, he's recognized the need for and that the church and the elders and the staff have recognized the importance of rest and Sabbath. And so I'm so glad to sort of be filling in as others will be coming to uh, to fill in as well while uh, Ian um, gets rested and refreshed in the context of a, of a Sabbath a rest. I don't know if you're in the habit of uh, doing this. Um, I don't do this uh, regularly, but what I'd like to do is I'd like us to stand out of reverence for God's word as we read Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. So um, I'm going to uh, read it uh, aloud, and you can just uh, uh, follow along in, uh, in your Bibles. At certain points, I'm going to ask you to, to help me out as well. Joshua 1, verse 1, this is the word of God. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hivites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Help me out with these next four words. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only say it with me again. Be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? One more time. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Three times God tells Joshua at this crucial moment in Joshua's life and in the history of the people of Israel, three times he, he tells him, be strong and courageous. The moment that Joshua is facing requires courage and requires strength. Uh, C.S. Lewis described courage in this uh, way. He said, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. C.S. Lewis says, Courage isn't just part of a list of virtues, you know, like love and charity and kindness and generosity. No, no, no. He says what courage is, it's all of those virtues at the testing point, at the breaking point. You know, you can have a reputation for being a really love, loving person. And it's, it's easy to love people that are lovely 
and that are lovable, but it requires courage to love people who don't love you in return. It requires courage to fulfill what Christ calls us to do in loving our enemies. It's, it's the virtue of love brought to the testing point. You can think you're a really generous person as long as you've got a lot of extra money on your hands. But when, when we move from giving out of surplus to giving that's a sacrifice, that requires courage, doesn't it? It's that virtue of generosity brought to the testing point. You can be known as someone who just speaks their mind. You're a truth teller. You tell it like it is. You just speak the truth. And that's very virtuous. But when it comes to the point where your job is on the line, or your future is on the line, or your neck is on the line for telling the truth, that's when courage comes in. And God here is speaking to Joshua as he's about to go into the promised land and says, Joshua, a lot is going to be required of you. And you are going to need courage in order to fulfill the mission that I am sending you on. And it's it's really important for us to understand and to notice that in all crucial moments of our lives, we must act with courage. Chances are, if so far in this introduction, you're like, well, this message doesn't apply to me because I don't really need courage on a regular basis. Chances are, you're not doing much that's crucial or important with your life. Because pretty much everything worth doing requires courage. Requires that you would take everyday virtues and have them pushed to the testing point as you step out in faith and trust in God. Something that we're going to uh, find out in Joshua's situation is true in all of our situ- in, in all of every crucial situation that we that we face is is one of the reasons why we so often need courage is because so often the circumstances that we face are confusing. We need courage to step into confusing situations. We don't always know what's in store for us around the corner. And so there's courage in the midst of a confusion. Also, that in crucial circumstances, there's just about always some sort of, conforma- or some sort of confrontation. That you're, you're, there's going to be friction. There's going to be a fight. There's going to be a battle. There's going to be disagreement. And so Joshua... Is, going to, is, is facing confrontation. He's going to be going into the promised land. He's going to have to conquer these other nations. There's an element of confusion as well. How is all of this going to play out? And then thirdly, every time where there's a call for courage, there's not just, a, there's not just confusion, there's not just confrontation, there's also a call for a cost. That a price is going to have to be paid. That a sacrifice is going to uh, be made. And how we relate to God in these moments, in these crucial moments of our lives, will determine the distance between cowardice and courage in our everyday living. And so God is going to speak to Joshua here about this important topic of uh, courage. And we're going to see today from God's word three keys to living with courage. Three keys to living with courage. Courage. The first one I want to share with you is this, jot it down, is trust God's promises. If you're going to live a life that is characterized by courage, 
in the midst of confusion, in the midst of conflict or confrontation, in the midst of paying a price or counting the cost, we must trust in God's promises. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan. Just in the, we're in the first two verses. This is the book of Joshua, and Moses has already been mentioned three times. Think about the significance of what it meant for Moses, the greatest leader in the history of this nation, has just died. He's the one who brought them out of Egypt. He's the one who led them through the wilderness for the past 40 years. He's the one who just at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, which means second law, had just retaught them the entire revelation of God up until that point. Now he's dead. Now, you would think that God might want to tell Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, take your time. Now, therefore, let's, maybe you need a Sabbath, Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Maybe you should pull the people and see if this whole promised land thing is still a good idea. No, God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Arise and go. Arise and Go. You see, here's something. As, as, as we're, if we're going to live a life of courage, we need to remember we are trusting God's promises. We're not trusting in God's servants. And I love the step of faith that this church has, has taken. Three months without Pastor Ian Hales? Can this church survive without Pastor Ian? Yes, it can. I mean, I'm the biggest Ian Hales fan you can find. But I am confident that this church will, th- will not just survive, but will thrive while he is resting and being refreshed on a Sabbath. Because it does not depend on a person. You see, I mean, this has been a, this has been a pretty tumultuous couple of years, hasn't it been, for the broader evangelical world, especially south of the border and some places around the world, hearing about, about leaders getting, getting sick and dying. Hearing about leaders failing morally and being disqualified from their, uh, from their positions. You know, how, how are we going to, how are we going to uh, reach Muslims without Nabil Qureshi? How is, the, how is uh, evangelism going to continue on without Billy Graham? What are we going to do in light of the, 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 the stain or the mark on the body of Christ because of some of these failed pastors? Who have, who have disqualified themselves. You see, you see, God's like, he's like a hockey coach. He's like, that guy's skating towards the bench, you hop over the boards. God's telling Moses, you know, God's telling Joshua, you know what? Moses did a lot of great things. I called Moses, I chose Moses, I empowered Moses, but now, now Moses is with me. And Joshua, now it's your turn. Hop over the boards, get in the game. It's still going on. And so, That's what God is calling Joshua to do because we're trusting in God's promise, not in God's servant. And notice the the confusion that would have been in Joshua's mind. How is he going to do this? He says, go over this Jordan. Easier said than done. The Jordan River is a massive river. He's thinking, am I going to build a a, bridge, boats, a, a, a barge? How are we going to get across? But it was going to require courage in the midst of that confusion. He says, you and all this people into the land that I am giving them. 
Notice how it's a, a present participle there at the end of verse 2. It's the land that I'm giving them. God is in the process of giving it to them. But then look at verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given. Past tense. So God is in the process of giving something to the people that he's already given to them. How does that language even make sense? Well, it only makes sense when, when we have a God who is so faithful in fulfilling his promises that when he says he's going to do it, it's as though he's already done it. And so that is what God is making clear to Joshua here. Every place where the sole of your sneakers touches, that is the, the land that I have promised and the land that I have given. He says, just as I promised, there's the word, we got to trust in God's promise, just as I promised to Moses. Then he gives the geographical description in verse 4, from the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses. I love that. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. So God wants Joshua to take this first step. And so he reminds him of the promises. He, re- he tells him to be strong and a courageous. For God, the giving, it's already happened, it's past tense, but the giving is dependent on the going. He tells him, arise, go to the land that I am giving, that I have given, but it all starts with the going. When God fulfills his promise, so often it involves him calling his people to go. He, he came and found Abram and, and said, you need to go from Ur of the Chaldeans. You need to go to Canaan. Then he went and found Moses and said, you need to go from Midian and, and, and go back to Egypt to set the people free. And then he told the people, we need to go from here and, and go to the promised land. And now he's telling Joshua, it's time to go. He's always telling people it's time to go. Several years ago, a group of people in this area were told to go, to leave the comforts of whatever, uh, whatever experience they were in and to start a church and look around right here. All of this is here right now because a couple of people decided to go. Because a couple of people decided to step out and to trust a God who is faithful in fulfilling his promises. And he said, I will build my church. And he's doing it right now. And he has given that and he's been faithful in fulfilling that promise. But the, the going is part of the giving. It's all part of God's process in fulfilling his promises. And so God is giving this challenge to Moses, or Joshua. I keep calling him Moses. Poor Joshua, man. He's just living in the shadow of, of Moses, even all these years later. He's telling Joshua, be strong and courageous. Why? Because the first step is always the hardest, isn't it? The first step is always the hardest. Young men. That, that member of the opposite sex that you're romantically interested in. It, 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 it's, that, it's that first step, that initial conversation, embracing the awkward. That's so difficult, isn't it? But she's waiting, man. Go for it. 
evangelistic conversations. You know, I'm fine when I'm in the middle of talking about the gospel. But when I'm pushing the swing with my kid talking to another dad, so, do you know what John 3.16 says? <laughs> like, how do you start? How do you take that, that first step? You know, to, to truly to truly be vulnerable and to share with someone who knows you and loves you and cares with you, to truly tell them about that private personal struggle that you're having that no one else knows about, trust me, as soon as you tell them, it's going to be this, I know from experience, this huge burden is going to be lifted off of you. But sitting down with that person and saying, looking them in the eye and saying, I really, I really need to tell you something right now. It's the first step. But trust his promises. Be strong and courageous. It's going to take courage. It's going to require trusting in him. Then in verse, at the end of uh, verse 9, he says, you, you shall cause this people, uh, sorry, at the end of verse 6, uh, you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore, there's the promise again, I swore to their fathers uh, to give them. This wasn't just a promise he had made to Moses, it was a promise he had made to Abraham and to Isaac and to uh, Jacob. Trust in his promises. Now look at verse 7. Only be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. So here's the second, the second way to live with courage. So trust in God's promises and then secondly, obey God's word. Obey God's word. It's right there in verse 7, Be, being careful to do, not just to know the word, not just to study the word, not just to teach the word, but be careful to do and to do all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. Stay on the track and that you may have good success wherever you go. A success there, there's a footnote in my ESV Bible, to, to, to have good success means to act wisely. It means to live with wisdom, to live the way that you're supposed to live. This book is wisdom. This book is how to have a successful life, how to live life the way it was meant to be lived. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Again, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. You see, God tells a Joshua that it's not supposed to depart from his mouth. This is how he's supposed to lead. This is how Christian leaders are supposed to lead. They're supposed to lead by always talking about the Bible. By always uh, finding ways to communicate biblical truth. And so it's not supposed to depart from his mouth. It's always supposed to be coming out of Joshua's mouth. In his public leadership, he's supposed to be always talking about the Bible, always communicating God's word. And the reason why God is being faithful in building his church is because this has been a church that has been faithful in proclaiming the word of God. 
It has not departed from the mouth. There, there, is, there has not been a, a turning to the right or to the left. Everything in the culture is like, turn over here, turn right, or turn left. But we must remain faithful, not letting the word depart from our mouth, and not turning from the right or to the left. That's, it requires courageous leadership in today's day and age to stick to God's word. So it says, don't let it depart from your mouth. That's his public leadership. And then it says, you shall meditate on it day and night. That word meditate means it's like a, it's like a slow, quiet, personal muttering, running something over in your mind. So depart from your mouth is your public communication. But the meditation is just you kind of mulling it over in your mind. The thing, that, the thing that Joshua was supposed to be always thinking about, the, the thing that as in, in the background, sort of the background music should, should, should be the, 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 the song of the scriptural story in Joshua playing in, in the backdrop of Joshua's life. That he's filtering and interpreting every situation and circumstance and struggle through the scripture. You just got to think about the pressure that's on Joshua and the amount of responsibility that's on him right now and the command that he's being given to obey God's law. He is leading, right now, a portable nation. Like, all of these people who have been wandering through the wilderness and then now they're on the verge of entering into the promised land. Now, you would think that Joshua would, would want to do a little bit of meditation, a little bit of study, a little bit of reflection on sociology or political science, science to try to figure out how am I supposed to lead these people? How should we structure and organize things? But God says, no, you need my word. Meditate on my word. He's about to go in and invade all of these Warrior nations, the, 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 the Canaanites, they were all warrior peoples. Why do you think they built walls? Because they had been fighting for generations. Soldiers raising up young soldiers from one generation to another generation. These rich military histories with stories of battles and great generals and commanders. What's the military history of the people of Israel? They were an obscure shepherding family, 70 people living in the promised land before they moved to Egypt, and then they spent four centuries making bricks out of straw. They had no military background. It wasn't woven into their culture. They didn't know how to build weapons, let alone use them. But God doesn't tell Joshua, you know, you should meditate and study up on military strategy or even international diplomacy. No, he says, meditate on my word. All of that stuff, listen, all of that stuff will come together, but the main thing you need, Joshua, is to meditate on my word. You know, it's, it's really incredible. I mean, how, how many would you like to have a conversation with God like Joshua chapter 1? I mean, we all, we all kind of wish that would happen, right? That God would just speak to us personally and tell us what we need to do and tell us what are the keys to be successful in order to do that. And we don't really know the, the circumstances surrounding Joshua 1. The narrator's pretty vague here. We don't know if this happened in the tent of meeting. We don't know if an angel came or if this was spoken through a prophet. It just says, the Lord said. But wouldn't you like God to say something to you? But notice what God said. He went to all this trouble to appear to Joshua to tell him, read your Bible. Think about that. 
If God were to appear to you and speak to you, to give you a personal message, what he would say to you is, read your Bible. I am here to tell you that I've already told you a whole lot of stuff. So read it. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Don't turn from the right or the left. Meditate on it day and night. And then at the end of verse 8, it says, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. We already talked about what success means. It means to live with wisdom. But I want to talk a little bit about this word prosperous because uh, I, know, I know there have been some epic series here in the past called Butchering the Bible. And uh, I don't know if Joshua 1 has been covered uh, yet, but Joshua 1, uh, this idea of being prosperous, is, is some, the, 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 that is a theme or an idea that has been hijacked from those who preach the prosperity gospel. And I don't know how prevalent it is in this area. It's everywhere in Brampton and Mississauga. And the, the prosperity gospel goes like this. It says, they take a verse like this, Joshua chapter 1, and, and, and says, you know, if you, if you follow God's word, you'll have success and you'll be prosperous. And then the Bible gets closed, and then the preacher says something like this, and the Bible says that you're supposed to give, and God will open the floodgates of heaven, and the reason why you're not experiencing success, and the reason why you're not prospering is because you're not generous, and you need to give. I mean, look at me. Look how, look how prosperous I am. The only difference is, is everyone is giving to him. So I did some study on this word prosper, used about 70 times in the Old Testament, Almost never is it ever talking about anything remotely close to money or finances. Is money or finances, is God talking about a a five-year business plan with Joshua right now? No. To, To be prosperous, the essence of that word to prosper is to have a task and you complete the task. To be able to put a check mark on something on your to-do list. It's used most often to describe a master commands his servant to do something. And if the servant actually does what they were told to do, that servant is described as prosperous. They prospered in the task. One of the other times when it's being used is when someone is going on a journey. They're at point A, they intend to get to point B. When they leave point A and arrive at point B, they look back and they say, I've been prosperous. It doesn't mean they found gold coins on the way. It means that they accomplished what they set out to do. They finished the mission. What is Joshua's mission? Was it to get rich? No, his mission, prosperity for Joshua was to cross the Jordan, enter the land, defeat their enemies, and set up the nation. That was what it meant to be prosperous. That's why God says, you need my word and my promises in order to prosper. So we don't have the same mission as Joshua. You're not supposed to go and conquer Ajax. So what's our mission? Our mission is to make disciples, not to make more dollars. It's to make disciples. 
And so we have a different mission from Joshua, but we can take the principle here of of Joshua chapter one and say, as we follow God's word and as we are faithful to God's word and meditate on God's word, then we will be able to prosper in accomplishing our mission. The mission statement of this church is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission, which is making disciples of all nations in the spirit of the Great Commandment, which is loving God and loving our neighbor with all of our heart, soul, or loving our neighbor as, our, as ourself. So we need to, if we're going to live with courage, first of all, we, we need clarity on the mission. We need to understand what are we here on earth to do? Why does this church exist? It exists to make disciples. Why are you here personally? You are here to make disciples. And the only way to do that is by not letting God's word depart from your mouth and meditating on it day and night and being careful to obey it. So we gotta, we got to trust God's promises. We've got to obey God's word. And then thirdly, we've got to rely on God's presence. We've got to rely on God's presence. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the third time he tells him to be strong and courageous. And I don't know about you, but I take really a lot of comfort after what he says after, be strong and courageous. That next command, do not be frightened. Do not be frightened. The most repeated command in the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is do not fear. Fear not. Do not be frightened. It is the thing that God says to his people more often than anything else. Why? Because fear is really at the core of why there's so much dysfunction and sin and distress and discouragement and defeat in our lives. There was no fear in Eden, but when they ate from the, when they ate from the forbidden fruit and God came walking in the cool of the day, what does it say? It says that they were afraid and they, and they hid themselves. Uh, fear comes from sin. And he, he God is telling Joshua, as he told Abraham, as he told Moses, as, he, as the angels told the shepherds, as, as the apostles told the churches that they were writing to, don't be afraid. Because when we're afraid, we sin. Think back. Think back to a moment in your life that you sincerely regret. And think about the role that fear played in that moment. When I think about some absolutely dumb things that I've done in my life that I absolutely regret in hurting other people or, or saying things I shouldn't have said or doing things I shouldn't have done, fear is so often at the core. 
So often it was social pressure when I was younger. That if I don't do this, if I don't say this, if I don't act this way, I'm afraid that I will be rejected by my peer group. And so fear really at the core is my motivation for so often why I did things I never should have done. But regret is a two-sided coin, isn't it? When we think about regret, it's not just the things we wish we hadn't done. It's the things we wish we did do as well. And when I think about regrets that I have or opportunities that were given or moments where I could have done something really important or impactful, but I didn't, again, what is lying behind that? It's fear. And so often in those moments, I failed. Why? Because I was afraid that I would fail. And so rather than doing something and potentially failing, I did nothing and just decided to fail in the first place. All because of fear. And God tells Joshua, do not be frightened. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. And here's why, he says, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When I look back into those moments of my life, things, things I did that I wish I hadn't and things that I knew I should have done that I, that I didn't do, the one, thing I was, I, the one thing I was thinking about was what I was afraid of and the thing that I was not thinking about was where was God in those moments? Who cares if my peers reject me? God is with me. Who cares if what I'm hoping to step out and do if I might fail. It doesn't matter because God is with me. And I've learned this the hard way in my life. And I hope, I hope you, you receive this today. You will never be strong and courageous until you admit that you're weak and afraid. Until you come to the point where you are truly seeing yourself accurately in your weakness and in your own fear, you will never truly get your eyes off of yourself and your situation and get them onto the Lord, which is the only way that you can be strong and courageous. Because Until we understand our weakness and until we understand how much fear controls us, we'll always think, you know what, maybe we could build a boat and get across the Jordan. Maybe we can push the walls of Jericho down. No, you need to understand how weak and afraid you are and then the Jordan stops flowing. And then the walls of Jericho come down, not because of your strength and your courage, but because you acknowledge your weakness and your fear and allowed God to produce strength and courage in you. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, General George Patton, that incredibly uh, electric uh, personality, the World War II uh, general who so famously said, you have nothing to fear but fear itself. Have you ever heard his definition of courage? This is how Patton describes courage. Courage is fear. Holding on a minute longer. Fear can't hold on. Fear says, no, I better let go. I, 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 I can't do this. I, 
It's too difficult. It's going to cost too much. It's too confusing. There's too much confrontation. There's too much cost. I'm going to let go. Courage, on the other hand, is all those same feelings. But holding on for one more minute. The courageous person, you need to understand this. The courageous person is always still as afraid as the fearful person. They're just choosing to hold on, not because of their willpower. The reason why, according to the gospel, the reason why we can hold on one minute longer is because we know that God is holding on to us. Because he has promised, as he told Joshua, the promise extends to us, the Lord is with you wherever you go. Joshua's name wasn't always Joshua. He was one of, the, one of the spies that went into the promised land from the south, back in the book of Numbers, in Numbers 13. Now they're approaching the promised land from the east on the side of the Jordan River. But Joshua was one of the spies that brought a positive report. And his name at, this point, at that point was Hosea, which meant deliverer. And after Joshua came out, uh, of, uh, of Canaan and gave this positive report, Moses changed his name from uh, Hosea to Yeshua or, or Joshua. He took the name Deliverer and he put YHWH, the personal name for God, I am that I am. And he changed his name from Deliverer to Yahweh is Deliverer or the Lord is Deliverer. And Joshua's name was changed from that point on. The interesting thing is, you know, there's a lot, lot of different people from a bunch of different backgrounds uh, back here. You know, you might have someone named Johan. You might have someone named Ian. You might have someone named Juan. You might have someone named John. But the interesting thing is whether your name is Johan or Ian or Johanny or, or Juan, everyone has that, the same name is John. Juan is the Spanish version of John. Ian is a, 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 a European British version of, of John. Jean is the French version and and Johannes from Peru or something like that. So you, it's all the same name, just different countries pronounce it in different ways. And the name of Joshua in Greek is Jesus. When the angel told uh, Mary and Joseph what, what to name him, it says, you shall name him Jesus for he will save or deliver his people from their sins. Jesus' name means God will deliver, or God is deliverer. And Jesus is like a greater Joshua. Jesus uh, led, uh, led the people into the promised land, not just to uh, inhabit sort of an earthly inheritance, but an, but an eternal inheritance. Joshua won these great battles against these, these terrifying enemies. Jesus won the ultimate, the greatest battle at the cross, defeating death defeating the, the punishment that all of us deserve for our sins. And so Joshua was the one who received this command to be strong and courageous and surely I am with you always and go into the land. And the amazing thing is that Jesus gives us a very similar command. I already mentioned what our mission is as a church, as, as followers of Jesus Christ. We have a very clear mission. And so just, just compare um, Matthew 28, I've just put a, a quick summary for you here on the screen with Joshua chapter 1. God said, Moses, your servant is dead, therefore go. Go over this Jordan, arise and go. Jesus in Matthew 28 told his disciples, 
Go. Go and make disciples of all nations. And in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, God told, told Joshua, surely I'm with you wherever you go. And Jesus, at the end of the Great Commission, said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we can be strong and courageous even though we are weak and afraid because Christ came and he paid the penalty for all of our sins, all of those things that we look back on and that we regret. Whether they were 15 years ago or 15 minutes ago, Christ suffered and died so that we could be forgiven and so that we could enter that ultimate promised land, the new Jerusalem in the new heavens and the new earth. And everything that Joshua did is really just a picture pointing forward to what Christ ultimately has accomplished for us. And he has promised to surely be with us always, even to the end of the age. And it's only until you truly understand and embrace that personally that any of us would be able to live a life characterized by courage. So let's bow our heads together as we think about what this means for us personally. And I just want to challenge you as you're uh, thinking about something in your own life that requires courage, something that is coming up on the horizon or a challenge that you are facing right now. And maybe you've never really just acknowledged to the Lord how afraid you are. And so I just want to invite you to do that. Just in the stillness of this moment right now, just tell him, God, I am afraid. And God, I need courage from you. I need the assurance from you that you are faithful to fulfill your promises. Maybe there's something in your life right now where God has clearly spoken to you from his word, but you are not being careful to obey it as Joshua has been commanded. And maybe you need to repent of that right now in this moment to say, God, forgive me. God, I've been neglectful in this area of my life. And maybe there's a, just a, a struggle, maybe something that's happening with you or maybe something that's going on in the life of a loved one and you are struggling to trust in God's promise that he will be with you and that he will be with them in the midst of that kind of a difficulty. And just take a moment right now and just say, God, I want to trust you. Help me to trust you. I believe. Help my unbelief. And so, Heavenly Father, we come right now by your Spirit and we come in the name of Jesus Christ, the one whose very name means God is deliverer, who has come to deliver us from death, to deliver us from sin, and to deliver us from the fear that so often controls us. And God, we want to be men and women of courage. We want to be people who trust you. We want to be people who live for you even when there is a cost. And so God, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would do a work by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, right now in this moment. God, we acknowledge our fear. God, we, we acknowledge, Lord, that, that in 
that apart from you, we can do nothing. But in Christ, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be with us, Lord, not even in this, in this moment, Lord God, but as we respond in song, in worship, as we sing and declare, Lord, that we trust you, that your ways are higher than our ways, God. But Lord, I pray that you would go ahead of us and be with us, Lord, just as you promised Joshua, just as Jesus promised the disciples to always be with us, Lord. So God, we pray that you would be present and that we would be courageous, Lord, not just right now in this moment in church, but on Monday morning in the midst of whatever challenges we may be facing. So God, we love you and we thank you. We pray for your help. We pray that you would help us to be strong and courageous in you, Lord. We, we ask, Lord, and we believe that you are who you say you are and that you'll do what you say you'll do. We trust in your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.